Hello, my fellow seasoned athletes, and welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. The Seasoned Athlete Podcast is your home for stories, inspiration, motivation, training tips, and more directly from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age doesn't have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. You can learn more about this podcast at seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share with everyone you know, and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And now on with the show. Welcome to episode three of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Today, I'm talking to marathon swimmer Pat Gallant-Charette. We recorded this interview back in early April, and in the interview, Pat talks about an upcoming attempt at swimming the Molokai Channel in Hawaii. Well, Pat did make this attempt, and after the interview, I'll give an update on how she did. And now, let's get to know Pat Gallant-Charette. Hi, Pat. How are you doing today? Fine. How are you, Robin? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yeah. Fantastic. So you are Pat Gallant-Charette of Westbrook, Maine. You're a wife, mother, sister, grandmother, retired nurse, and marathon swimmer. Your swimming adventures have taken you across incredible distances and through challenging waters around the world and have earned you world records and a spot in the Maine Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame. You have so many notable swimming accomplishments that it's quite frankly just too much for me to succinctly wrap up in a short intro. And perhaps one of the most astonishing things we'll learn is when this all got started. So, Pat, the first question I'm going to ask you is the question I ask all of my guests on the show, and that is, how old are you in this moment in time? I'm 66 years old. I love it. So when someone hears or reads about all the swims you've done, and we're going to get into some of those swims more specifically, one would think you've been doing this your whole life. But that's not really the case, is it? No, it's not. I was a strong swimmer when I was a teenager, uh, but I got married young in my early 20s and started having my children, got very involved with family life, work. As you had mentioned, I worked as a nurse. And, you know, just time went by. I considered myself a spectator mom uh, up to the age of 46. I did not do any competitions. I, If I went to the lake or to the beach, I watched my kids swim. I was not out there swimming. So what triggered you to get started in all of this? My brother, Robbie, at the age of 34, died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart attack. And he was survived by a young wife, a three-year-old son, and a large family who absolutely adored him. And at that time, my 16-year-old son was on the Westbrook High School swim team. And he came up to me and he said he wanted to swim the peaks to Portland as a tribute to his Uncle Robbie. Now, my, my brother Robbie loved sports, and he had won the peaks to Portland twice. And when my son Tom said he wanted to swim it, I, I was really touched by it. And I said to him, Tom, that's so sweet. I, I wish I could do the same. And he looked at me and he says, well, Ma, you can if you try. And I kind of took a step back because I considered myself the spectator mom. And, and the extent of my exercise at that time was going for an occasional walk in the neighborhood with other neighborhood moms. You know, I was not one to go and swim in the ocean, let alone a competition. 
And uh, so I decided I was going to give it a try. And it took me a year before I even qualified to swim the peaks. And um, I remember the very first night of going to the pool, I asked this young lifeguard who was 16 years old, I said, will you keep an eye on me? I said, I don't know if I can do two lengths of the pool. I had a lot of self-doubt about my uh, swimming ability. Now, you have to realize, I didn't have a coach. I really didn't know any open water swimmers. And uh, so it was basically self-taught. Now, the Peaks to Portland swim, it's a 2-point ocean mile swim here um, in Maine. And you take a ferry out to Peaks Island, and then all the swimmers swim back to the uh, East End Beach in Portland. And it's an absolutely beautiful swim. But on my very first day of that swim, I remember looking out and I saw all these young athletes and all of a sudden I got very overwhelmed. I I remember saying to myself, Pat, what the heck did you get yourself into? You know, look at these young athletes and here you are, 47 years old, gray hair, overweight, you know, and and then all of a sudden I just kind of calmed myself down and I I said, you know, Pat, you know you're not going to beat these young college competitive swimmers. Just go out and enjoy the swim. You're probably coming dead last, but who cares? You're here as a tribute to your brother. So anyway, my plan was just to swim the peaks to Portland one time, and that was it. How, what was the distance on that? I didn't quite get that. 2.4 ocean miles. Okay. And uh, But when I started to swim across Casco Bay, something clicked. I just found how it was so beautiful. The water was very tranquil. I had no swimmers around me because they were all in front of me, <laughs> you know, by, by quite a distance. And, uh, and I looked at the beautiful Fort Gorgeous. That's a, a fort in the middle of the harbor. And, you know, there were seagulls walking above and there was a lobster boat going by. And, and that was the moment that I fell in love with the sport of open water swimming. And when I reached the finish line, Robbie's young son, who is now four, was waiting for me at the finish line. So I decided that I was going to continue. When I turned 50, I noticed that my endurance was improving by, by quite a bit. And I was surprised by that because as, because as a nurse, you know, I thought it was really kind of all downhill after 50. And, and I found that, you know, geez, if you stay active, this Still a lot of good years ahead. That's so true. Yeah, if you train yourself and you take care of yourself, and especially if you're doing an endurance sport, your endurance will improve no matter what your age is. Right. But but at that point, I did not think of myself as an endurance athlete or a marathon swimmer because I was doing swims that were under, you know, two and a half miles. But it was at that point when I turned 50, I remember turning to my husband and I said, you know, I, I feel strong when I finish. I, be, I bet I can go much further. And so I trained for another year with the intention of swimming twice the distance that I was going to do a five-mile swim. And when I did the five-mile swim, I felt really good. And I turned to my family. I said, you know, I think I can go much further than this. So I trained for another year that I was going to do a 10-mile swim. And when I did that, uh, when I finished again, I didn't feel tired. And I said, that's when I realized that I had this endurance that I should tap into. And that's when I started getting into much longer distance swims. 
So let's talk a little bit about that, because I feel like a lot of our people listening may not know much about distance swimming or marathon swimming. We hear about, obviously, distance running. A lot of people do that because it's a fairly easy thing to just get out and do. You can start with a 5K, then move to a 10K, then move to a half and a marathon and ultra running. And it, and people often have that, that same feeling that you have. Where it's like, oh, I totally, I completed this. I feel good. I can go longer. But you don't hear a lot about open water swimming and marathon swimming. So can you take a minute and just talk about what marathon swimming is? is what what distance is considered to be a marathon swim and what it entails marathon swimming is the distance is a 10k a 6.2 mile swim or much longer like the english channel the english channel is 21 miles catalina in california that's a 21 mile swim and it does entail a lot of technique training uh, endurance training cold water acclimation, let's say for the English Channel or the North Channel. But I found that when I was training for these marathon swims, I because I didn't have a coach, what I did, I actually read about endurance runners and I read about their training schedules of how they would not run a marathon distance every day. Uh, they would run short distances and then you know, every couple of weeks, they would put in a long run. So I said, well, if it works for running, well, I'll use the same principles. And that's what I did. I had the English Channel was my first um, marathon swim. And my training for that, I backed up one year. And each month as it got closer to my target date, I increased the distance, just like they do in marathon running. If you're going to run a marathon, you start planning like eight months before. And each month as you get closer, your training gets more and more intense. And basically, that's what I did. So let's talk about the English Channel. Was that the first like really big marathon swim that you attempted? Yes, uh, that was a, a 21 mile. When I did that in 2008, I got within uh, 1.7 miles of the finish line. And I had no doubt I was going to finish, but the current had changed and it was starting to pull me away from France. And they have rules that if you can't be making forward progress, they stop the swim. That was back then. Now they're a little bit more easy on letting someone wait for the next tide. But but anyway, uh, because I wasn't moving forward, they stopped the swim. And I was greatly disappointed. And then I was bound and determined that I was going to come back. And I did go back the following year, but it was high winds for the two weeks that I was there and I had to return to Maine without a swim. That's interesting to me that you could go all the way out there and where the English Channel swim goes from where to where. Okay, it's from Dover, England to France. So Dover to France. Uh, You go all the way out there. Your first attempt in 2008, how long were you swimming before you had to call it? Uh, 16 hours, 43 minutes. That's so that's just mind blowing to me. The ocean currents, it's like that can stop you cold. These currents are very strong in the English Channel. Sometimes a swimmer can go straight across without a current. And other times it gives them the scenic tour where you're going, you know, three, four miles up the coast and not moving forward at all. You know, it's it's very unpredictable. So the the actual distance of the swim can vary depending on the currents, correct? Yes, yes. I ended up swimming, I think it was about 33 miles for that first attempt. And it was because the currents were, you know, pushing me. Right. But there's so many other uh, great swims out there. I've been participating in the Ocean Sevens. 
Yes. Yeah, that's the seven most challenging swims in the world. And Stephen Monotoni's of the International Hall of Fame of Swimming. Uh, he's a board member. He came up with the concept. And swimmers worldwide uh, are taking on the challenge, and, and I'm one of them. And so far, I have five out of the seven completed. So let's go through them. Going back to the English Channel, you attempted in 2008. You went out there in 2009, but were unable to attempt. Right. So what happened after that? Okay, then I went back, and I did complete it. And then I attempted the Strait of Gibraltar. That was before I completed the English Channel. Okay. And that's uh, between Spain and Africa. It's about a 10 to 12-mile swim. And the, the currents are very strong between Spain and Africa. And I was expecting that I was going to do the swim in about seven hours. But on that day, Mother Nature provided some extremely strong currents in my favor. Oh. I mean, they were, they were pushing me to the finish line. And I was unaware of it because, you know, when you're in a current, you just, you don't feel any difference. You know, um, sometimes a, like an eddy will have you swim in place, but you don't realize that you're not moving, but you're still swimming. Uh, but these currents brought me to the finish line in three hours and 28 minutes. And I set the record for the third fastest woman's time since 1928. Wow. And you also, I believe you also earned a record for the fastest person over 50 in that swim. Yeah. So you were the fastest person over 50 worldwide. Yeah. And, and it was a matter of luck. But, you know, in marathon swimming, just like with running, you know, uh, Mother Nature plays a big role in any part of our sport. And uh, so, so I was happy she was kind to me. That was that was nice of her. So that was your first swim that you completed in the Ocean 7, correct? Correct. Okay. So moving on to the second, would that be the English Channel? Yeah, it was the English Channel. And I did that oh, about five, six years ago. Okay. And I, com and I completed that, I think it was just around the 16-hour mark. And, and then a few months after, I went out to California to swim the Catalina Channel. And that was an incredible, incredible swim. Just at the very beginning, we stopped to swim at night off of Catalina Island. And I saw flying fish and sea lions and dolphins. And I heard the sounds of whales. Probably um, half of my swim, I could hear whales communicating. And then when I got within a mile of the finish, something underneath me that I thought it was a great white, and it was not. It was a large dolphin. But I got a dolphin escort to the finish. I had about 100 dolphins uh, surround us. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was just an incredible experience. And I got the world record for the oldest woman. And I ended up swimming, I think, 14 hours, 22 minutes for that one. And how old were you when you when you earned that record? Uh, I think it was 60. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, this is blowing my mind right now because I'm, I'm just so unfamiliar with the sport. And Catalina is out in my neck of the woods. I'm in California and I'm in Southern California. I've been to Catalina via boat. I just can't imagine just having all of that beauty around you and a dolphin escort. Yeah, it was just incredible. I mean, um, I was just absolutely floored. I wrote a children's book about the experience, but I haven't been able to find a, a publisher that's even interested in, you know, looking at it. But, uh, but my grandchildren, I have three young grandchildren, and they, they love hearing the story about the dolphins and, the, you know, all the marine life. It sounds like a perfect subject for a children's story because it's just so magical. 
just out there swimming in the ocean and having all, you know, the, the, the dolphins and the whales and all helping you move forward to the shore. It's yeah. Yeah. It it was incredible. Yeah. So that was your third Catalina channel. Yes. Yeah. Then after that, I went to Japan and Japan, they call that's when the Sugu Strait is between the main island of Japan and the North Island, Island of Japan. And it's only about 12 miles across. However, they have currents that are incredible. And you get caught in a current, it could push you off course. And I ended up, uh, ended up finishing that swim, and I got the record for the oldest woman. And I ended up swimming 19 hours and 33 minutes. And I covered, uh, I think it was 30, 33 miles. Something like that. It took me off course. That's a considerable distance off course based on the actual mileage. Wow. Yeah. But for swimming for 19 hours and I felt good and I was actually disappointed that I didn't uh, swim for 24 hours because uh, in the marathon swim world, they have a club called the 24 hour club. And if you swim a marathon and you go uh, beyond the 24 hours, you're a, an official member of that club. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, geez, I could have gone six more hours, five more hours. You know, I had uh, plenty of left in me, you know, that where I could have gone, you know, for the 24-hour club. But this one was done. And, of course, I was glad that it was completed. <laughs> Ultimately, you want to complete it. But that, that, that 24-hour club would be a cool achievement. Yeah, in due time. It will happen. It's just, it's just also interesting to me because, you know, marathon swimming is the mileage is close to running marathon mileage. But the time that you often spend is close to ultra running. Yeah. Just spending 19 hours in the water. And I love that you're like, you're disappointed that it wasn't 24 hours. You were just shy. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm just trying to imagine spending 19 hours swimming and, and to think that you only started at 40, age 46 and you're in your mid 60s now. I, I just I think it's astounding. And these records are well deserved. Thank you so much. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was going to say, though, that uh, endurance running. OK, that sport helped me as far as figuring out what I should be consuming during a swim. I had no idea what I should be drinking, you know, whether it should be carb drink or protein drink. So I did my research on endurance runners that were, you know, competing in these, you know, 50 mile runs. And I started buying the products that they were using. And and that's what I use to this day. So what's some examples of some things that you eat or drink or consume either in training or while you're racing? Okay. Uh, It's usually just liquids. I had tried small like uh, pieces of like uh, some protein bars or something. And I found that my stomach just couldn't tolerate it. So I just have primarily liquids now. And I, I use Cabo Pro. That's a very popular Cabo drink. And I've also used products from Hammer in the past. Uh, they're very good products. So I basically, you know, I've tried, you know, those different products. And they've been a help, you know. Yeah. And, of course, I have uh, plenty of water. I, I drink a lot of water for two weeks prior to a swim because I, I want to be very well hydrated before I start my swim. 
then I just uh, start to swim and have the products and I'm fine. So let's move on to the North Channel. The North Channel is one of the hardest swims in the world, correct? Correct. So let's talk about your journey through the North Channel, your attempts and your ultimate completion. Okay. Um, I tried the North Channel about three years ago. I started in Ireland at Donaghadee and as I started swimming across, I knew that when I got to Scotland, they had very strong currents, they're riptides. And if I didn't make it in at a certain time, the swim would be done. And after swimming uh, for almost 17 hours, I was within a half a mile of the finish and I was still feeling strong, but the current changed and it was a riptide and I was starting to go backwards and they had to stop the swim. So, um, of course, I was disappointed, but I wasn't defeated. Sounds like you're never defeated, which I love. Yeah, thank you. And what happened, I went back the following year, and it was high winds the whole two weeks that I was there. And uh, my boat pilot did not allow the swim to take place. Now, the North Channel, again, it's, it's notorious for its uh, severe weather. It can change on a dime. It can be calm one minute and the next minute it's incredible uh and safety of the swimmer and crew was always a priority uh so he would not take me out because it was very treacherous conditions but also the challenges of the north channel they have uh prolific blooms of lion's mane's jellyfish the domes of those jellyfish about the size of a dinner plate and there's oh, tens of thousands you know and uh and I got stung every inch of my body. But this past year, I went out with my son, Tom, and he was the one that encouraged me when he was 16. Now he's in his 30s, mm-hmm. and he was my crew member. And um, I happened to be blessed with perfect conditions. It was calm, but when the water is calm, the lion's mane's jellyfish will rise to the surface. And I got stung everywhere. Uh, but they're not, for me, I didn't find them uh, very painful. And I just got minimal reaction, a little bit of burning uh, on my lips. But other than that, it wasn't too bad. But I did finish that swim. And um, I ended up swimming 14 hours, 22 minutes. And I got the world record, 65 years old, 204 days. And that swim in itself really propelled me in the marathon swim world. Because I think many uh, marathon swimmers just did not expect that someone of my age could swim that distance in, you know, one of the most difficult swims in the world. Yeah. And and not a lot of people have even completed it, correct? Correct. I was the 41st person in history to complete it. Wow. In the history of time, only 41 people and you are one of them and at 65 years old. Yeah. And, and the water temperature is very cold. It's in the low 50s. And, and a lot of marathon swimmers can swim long distances in water temperatures in the 60s. But when you start getting to low 50s, it, you know, you really have to do a lot of cold acclimation. And, and I did. Uh, living here in Maine, I was swimming, you know, late into the season, and then I'd start back up in April, and early April here, we still have snow on the ground. So the cold acclimation, you know, certainly helped out, but that's what will happen to a lot of swimmers that will go out and attempt the North Channel. They're strong swimmers. However, they might get to the halfway mark, 
and start to experience hypothermia. Oh, yeah. And that's very dangerous. And, uh, and the swim usually has to be pulled. I've done a mountain race. Uh, I do obstacle racing. And I did one up in Lake Tahoe where I was in cold water for a minute and almost got hypothermia. <laughs> going down, running down the rest of this mountain. So the hypothermia thing is a real deal. And just to think about the amount of hours you spend in 50 degree waters, but to also think that cold water acclimation can be done. You just have to be really diligent about it. Yes. Yes. I I remember in my early years, uh, before I started the cold acclimation, I went down to the ocean and uh, I went into the water and it was in the mid sixties. And I can remember I turned to my daughter and I said, my God, I said, I can't even stand this for 10 minutes. And, I, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be in this for, you know, several hours. But I kept on reading online that if you keep on going into the water, you know, extend it for maybe another minute. And then the next time you go in a few more minutes and you keep on going in on a regular basis, that you will become acclimated. So by the time fall came along, I was going into 52 degree water as though it was a hot tub. (laughs) I was just, I was floored that that would work. But it does. It does. It's unpleasant, but it works. So the North Channel, that was swim number five in Ocean 7. So you have two more. Yes, I, I have Cook Strait in New Zealand. Okay, Cook Strait is between the North and the South Island of uh, New Zealand. And I did attempt that a couple of years back, about three years ago. And when I first started, I got caught in an eddy. And I was in that eddy, uh, you know, swirling currents for about four hours. And it threw my time off because the, everything is timing. You have to get at a certain point because of the tides. And I missed that window of opportunity. And I knew this one was not going to be a success. And I was hoping Mother Nature would turn in my favor. But it was obvious the conditions were worsening and the currents were getting stronger. So uh, this one was stopped. Uh, but I am a rebooked. I'll be going back in two years. I wish it was going to be, you know, next year. But uh, marathon swimming has uh, become very, very popular and if anyone wants to swim the English Channel or Cook Strait or Molokai or Catalina, they'd better book it early because some, some of these swims are a two- and three-year wait. Yeah, the Cook Strait is a three-year waiting list, right? Yes. Yeah, so you have to wait wait till 2019. So that first swim, you knew early on you weren't going to finish it, but you went all the way out there. It almost turned into a training swim. Yes, you might as well you know, hang in there and enjoy and get the practice of swimming and also to be able to say that, you know, I, I swam Cook straight. So that was uh, that was 2014 that you attempted that. And then the other one is Molokai? Yes. The swim takes place between Molokai Island and the island of Oahu. And I'll be staying on Oahu. And the day of the swim, I, instead of taking a boat and going to the start of Molokai Island, I'll be flying over. Uh, And the reason for that, my boat pilot says that number of swimmers, if they take the boat ride, they get seasick before the swim takes place. So he recommends for swimmers to fly over to Molokai and then they'll have a taxi waiting for me. They'll bring me to the beach and my crew and I will walk onto the beach and my crew will swim to the boat. And then once they're on the boat, they'll have, uh, okay, I'll have a main boat and also a kayaker. 
and the kayaker will be next to me while the main boat will probably be a couple of hundred feet ahead of, ahead of me, you know, navigating the course. So let's talk a bit, a little bit about what the crew is like on your swims. Cause I'm, I'm really interested and fascinated by that. So how many people do you have with you in boats, kayaks while you're swimming? Okay. It varies. Uh, for the North channel swim, I had two crew members. I had my son and a friend also from Dublin, Ireland. In the past, when I've done the English Channel, I've had four crew members. I think on average, it's always good to have two in case one gets seasick. There is, there's a lot of um, planning ahead. Uh, we have crew meetings because anyone who has never been on a boat as far as watching a marathon swim, they have to be trained. Like, uh, for instance, my, my crew, I had to train them of what a stroke count is because when you swim in very cold water, if you start developing hypothermia, it'll show in your stroke. And my stroke count is averaging 52 to 54 strokes a minute. So every time my right hand enters the water, that's one stroke. The left hand, that's the second stroke. They, they'll watch and they'll keep a record of that. Uh, also, the feeding techniques, they have to know how to prepare my drinks, how to deliver it. Uh, for instance, when they throw a water bottle, it can't be to my side. It has to be in front of me about 15 feet. That way, I'm not slowing down to turn around to pick up, you know, my water bottle. They, they show me a sign that says in five minutes, you know, knowing that in five minutes, I'm going to have a water bottle in front of me that I'm going to swim to. And then I'm just going to quickly drink and it's attached to uh, a rope and, um, and then they reel it back in. But crew training, there's is, is quite a bit to it. And um, like for my Molokai swim coming up, I had to buy two shock shields and I had to train my crew on how to operate it, how to charge it. Uh, to make sure how to turn it on for sharks. Yeah. Yes. So, so they need to keep an eye out in case sharks are coming in your direction. Correct. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is just a whole nother world that you just entered with the, with the shark thing. Is that, is that something that hasn't really happened in it or was not a risk in the other swims? Uh, well, the, in any ocean, there's always a possibility, but you know, sharks will usually go where the seals are. And, you know, these uh, swims are very safe. I've never had any concerns. But, of course, in Hawaii, there's a lot of sharks in the area. And my boat pilot recommends, you know, as a safety precaution to have a shark shield. And it's going to be submerged under the kayak. And I'll be swimming close to the kayak. And they will be monitoring the waters for, for sharks. And if there's anything in view, if they look aggressive, then my swim will be stopped. I'll be disqualified. And I go back to Maine without a swim, you know, without a successful swim. But my biggest concern for the Molokai swim is motion sickness because I do have issues with that. It's an interesting sport to get into when you have a lifelong history of motion sickness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so training for that type of stuff, training for... Because you, you talked about, you know, setting up a training schedule similar to marathon training, but you still have to train for rough waters, for currents, for motion sickness. How do you train for that? Okay. Uh, where I live in the state of Maine, okay, um, about 17 minutes from the ocean. And during the times that I'm training, if it's a windy day, I am happy because 
I want to train when it's not calm. You want to be in uh, really kind of rough conditions to, to g- gain valuable information for yourself. Because, you know, if you train just in calm water all the time, it doesn't help a swimmer for, for marathon swimming because you have to be prepared for the unexpected. The body adapts for what you train it for. So if you don't practice in conditions that are similar to what you're competing in, your body won't be prepared for it. Right. And a lot of people are surprised that in my training, I only train in waist depth water. A lot of people think, oh, I must go like one mile out and swim in deep water. And it's absolutely not. I swim parallel to the beach. I start in waist depth water and I'll swim, um, you know, two or three miles in one direction, turn around and go back. And, you know, the waves are crashing and, you know, I feel that. I, I practice my bilateral breathing, which is uh, very important to know how to do in open water. And years back, I could not breathe from both sides. It was only one side, it was the right. And I told my son, and I said, well, I can't take a breath from the left. That's too hard. He goes, well, you have to force yourself. And I remember going uh, in training and I said, okay, today I am not going to breathe at all from my right side when I'm swimming the freestyle. It'll only be from my left. And I'll tell you, after a half hour of swallowing water, I finally got that down packed. But, you know, those are the things you have to do. If, if you can't uh, be a bilateral breather, it'll be very difficult to swim some, some of these harsh marathon swims if the conditions are rough and they're crashing on your right side and you need to breathe from your left, you know, you have to be comfortable breathing from both sides and not just from one side. And I think that's something that people don't even think about because how often do people generally even think about how they're breathing? Right. And to think about being out there and it's like if you're pushed to one side, you've got to be able to take a breath from another side or, you know, one side will be compromised. So it's, it's an interesting thing to have to practice just breathing differently. Yes. But yet it's so important. Yes. Yeah. So, Pat, can you take us back to what you would consider to be your worst or hardest or most difficult moment in your journey as an open water marathon swimmer? Well, I think probably the worst swim I ever had, it wasn't during the, an actual competition. It was during a training session. And I was training off the coast of Maine and water was pretty rough. And I was hit by a rogue wave. And I landed on the floor of the ocean. And now I'm only swimming in, you know, chest depth water. But when that wave crashed over me, my right shoulder hit the ground. And I was probably 200 feet offshore. And I went tumbling like a rag doll. And I had one of those safety buoys that you see a lot of swimmers wear. And I was so glad I had one of those on because it popped up in front of me and I grabbed hold of it as I was doing somersaults in the water. And I knew I was in shallow water, but I just couldn't stand up because the the force of the water was just, you know, throwing me every which way. And finally, I was able to stand and and I had to have shoulder surgery because it tore a rotator cuff. Oh, my goodness. That was 10 months before my North Channel swim. And and then my one of my favorite swims, I would have to say, was Catalina, uh, just because of the marine life. It was just an, an incredible experience. And uh, I mean, I loved all the swims that I've done. Uh, the North Channel was probably the one that really 
brought me up in the world of marathon swimming, but as far as experiencing the beauty of open water, uh, by far it was the uh, Catalina swim. Yeah, I imagine that's one of those types of swims that reminds you of why you're doing it, right? Yes, yeah. It was just incredibly beautiful. I mean, the first seven hours of the Catalina swim, all I could hear was probably 10 whales communicating. And and that's all I could hear were the sounds of those whales. It was such a unique experience. Most of us are lucky to hear a whale sound once in our lives at all. Any actual real whale sound. And you got to spend seven hours listening to whales communicating. Yeah, because I was swimming in, in October. And I guess the whales tend to migrate, I guess, during that time. Because they said it was probably whales that were migrating. Because I could I could hear quite a few, but they were they were in a great distance. But, you know, I mean, the sounds of whales can travel for miles. And uh, that's what I was listening to. Yeah, and it kept you moving forward. Yes, yeah. And I kept on thinking, I hope they're not saying they're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do they eat people? Oh, well, well, the thing is, they do have killer whales out there, too. You that's know, true. So that's true. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you never know what you're going to find when you're swimming out in the ocean. Like that, you're, you put yourself at risk every time you put yourself out there. But you also open up the possibility for for great beauty. So the risk versus reward sounds worth it, at least to you, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know, this journey that I've been on is just—it's been incredible. I mean, I I just never ever imagined that it was going to take me down this road of becoming a marathon swimmer and going on to break world records and being 66 years old and still having, you know, a lot left, you know, to do uh, many more marathon swims. You know, I just never imagined this. And, you know, anyone that's listening, I, I would recommend that they, you know, try something new and, and, you know, you just never know which road it's going to bring you down. And it might be something that they never imagined possible. You know, it's just you get a good out there and give it a try, you know, whether it's marathon running or cycling or or whatever they, you know, want to try in life. Right, right. And your motto is it you can do it if you try. Yeah, my my son was one that said you can if you try. You can if you try. So that that's wonderful advice for any of our seasoned athletes listening who might be inspired by your story, but might be intimidated or might not think, oh, she can do it, but I don't know if I can do it. Would you say you can do it if you try? Oh, certainly. You know, because I look at myself 20 years ago, I was a spectator mom. And there's no way that I ever, ever thought that years later that I would have been, you know, classified a world record holder and, and to have been able to accomplish swimming the North Channel between Ireland and Scotland, the toughest swim in the world. That That's just... Um, you know, so you, you just never know. And you just got to, you know, get out there and give it a try and, you know, and hope for the best. Yeah. Your athletic dreams or any sort of dreams that you have don't end in your 40s, don't end in your 50s. If anything, they start. They can start at 46. Yes. Yeah. So with two swims left in the Ocean 7 Challenge, have you thought about what's next beyond that? Oh, yeah. I, I have a long bucket list of swims. Uh, I'd love to try Lake Ontario. And also there's some uh, swims in Europe that I'd like to try, you know, like Lake Zurich, uh, Lake Geneva. I would love to go to Scotland and swim Loch Ness, but I'd like to do that when my grandchildren are a little bit older. 
because, you know, I've told them the stories of the Loch Ness Monster. And, uh, but there is a swim. It's a 21-mile swim. And, um, but I'd, I'd love for them to be out there and watch their grandmother, you know, attempt to swim Loch Ness. That sounds like another children's book in the making. So, <laughs> and what, what's the name of the children's book you wrote? Because maybe someone listening might think it's a cool thing that needs to be published. The title of the book is Catalina O. My and the reason it's oh my is when I was standing on the boat at Catalina Island getting ready to jump into the water, they put a spotlight on to show me where I had to, you know, jump into the water and swim. And when they turned the spotlight on, all these anchovies, it was this massive school of fish went by. And I looked down, I said, Oh my. And then the next thing, and now we don't have flying fish in Maine, but Catalina Island, they have these incredible, beautiful fish. And they were flying out of the water in every direction. And I looked at my crew and I said, Oh my. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this big brown pelican, two of them, we heard these flapping sound. I look up, but it's, you know, it's midnight. It was dark. Couldn't, I couldn't see them. Then all of a sudden they landed right in the spotlight, these beautiful, you know, pelicans with, you know, six foot wingspan. And I looked at my crew and said, oh my. And, and then two sea lions, they came to the boat and they popped their head right out of the water and they were staring at us. And again, I looked at my crew and I said, oh my. And then six dolphins came within six feet of the boat and went right in front of me. And I just let out this, oh my. And right when I said that, behind the boat was this whooshing sound and it was a whale spouting through its blowhole. And I, and I was just, I was just floored by the whole thing. So anyway, I kept on saying, oh my, all throughout. And the children's books, a lot of that repetition you know, of uh, Catalina, oh my. And, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a cute little book. And my sister-in-law, she was a crew member and she's an artist and she did all the, the drawings and she's an incredible artist. And the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. So anyway, I'm hoping that someday some publisher will have an interest in you know, looking at this book. Well, yeah. And as you continue to grow in the marathon swimming world and become a more notable presence, it's bound to happen. Oh, I hope so. Really quick before we go, tell me about Swim for Your Heart. My brother Robbie died when he was 34. When he was a teenager, he was diagnosed with extremely high cholesterol and triglyceride levels. And we knew that one day that he would have a problem, but we thought it was when he'd be an old man. We never thought that at the age of 34 that it would kill him. And I wanted to do something to give back and to bring an awareness of heart disease and its prevention. So I put a posting on the English Channel website. It's uh, where a lot of marathon swimmers will, you know, get information. And I asked swimmers worldwide if they were interested in going for a swim, go whether it's a pool or open water, on Valentine's Day, and they could send a donation to their favorite hot charity. Well, all of a sudden, I started hearing from swimmers from England, Japan, Mexico, and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And, um, and it really started to, to really get bigger and bigger and more and more people. And then we started having it during the month of February 
uh, because some swimmers could not go for a swim on February 14th and wanted to do it on a different day. But um, I got invited to go to Mexico City. And one of my swim friends, Antonio Anguillas, uh, he promoted it in his country. And there were 20,000 swimmers that participated. And they, they had nurses at a poolside that were taking blood pressures. Uh, here in Maine, uh, they had nurses doing cholesterol tests, blood pressures of swimmers before they got into the pool. They were handing out pamphlets on heart disease and its prevention. It was very popular, Swim for Your Heart, for those few years. But in the past couple of years, there hasn't been much um, going on. It's like it's had its day. Sure. But I, I keep I keep my fingers crossed. My dream is to have some major swim company, whether it's Speedo or whatever, but to pick this up and promote it worldwide. And they could have logos on the t-shirts and swimwear of Swim for Your Heart, and they could make donations to a heart research, you know, in, in any country. So that's still my dream. Yeah. And hopefully if someone's listening out there and if they have any contacts, I think it would be a wonderful message to send to people worldwide. Yeah. And swimming is such a great connection because swimming is so good for your heart and helps to build a strong heart. So it's a great sport to connect with that particular cause. Right. So as we head off, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation today. I've been smiling from ear to ear hearing your stories because they're just so unbelievable and astonishing and just what a fantastic way to see the world too. Do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your journey as a late in life athlete and a marathon swimmer that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? Well, I would say no matter what a person's age is to go out and try something new and to not to think that, Oh, because you're 40 or 50 that you can't do something. Because, you know, you just never know what is possible. And, and the thing is to, to give it a try. Because I'll tell you, when I was 46, I just never, ever imagined that at the age of 66 that I would have been swimming, you know, 20, 30 miles. So I would say go and try something new and enjoy. And, um, you know, life's too short to be sitting on the couch <laughs> watching TV. That's right. Get out there and just really enjoy and, uh, you know, and have fun. Such wise advice. Thank you. And seasoned athletes listening, heed that advice. You are never too old to get out there, try something new, do something fun, do something interesting, do something challenging. You never know. You may end up seeing the world in an entirely new light. So, Pat, uh, if any of our listeners want to follow your journey, you mentioned you have a blog, right? Yes. So what's the link to that? Okay, they can just Google Pat's Channel Swim, or they can just type in my name, Pat Gallant Charette, and it'll bring you right to my blog. And I have all the videos of my swims, and also I have a segment on Swim for Your Heart. There's a short video, and there's a lot of information, too, and also contact information uh, because I've, I've been contacted by many swimmers throughout the world. They'll contact me for tips and, and I'd be happy to help any athlete out there. If they have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. And I can vouch if you contact Pat, she will respond. So, cause yeah. that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I found an article. I went to your blog. I sent you an email and you got back to me quickly. And here we are. 
Uh, so thank you, Pat, for taking the time and telling me about your incredible journey. Best of luck with your upcoming swims and everything you have coming up in the future. Well, thank you, Robin. And I really appreciate you contacting me. And again, anything that I can do to help any anyone out there, I'd be happy to. So thank you. As promised, here's your update on Pat Gallant Charette's Molokai Channel swim attempt. On Saturday, May 20th, 2017, at the age of 66 years and 107 days old, with a time of 23 hours and 54 minutes, Pat Gallant Charette became the 52nd person in history to cross the Molokai Channel in Hawaii. And in doing so, she set a world record for being the oldest woman to successfully swim across that channel. You can read Pat's full update at patgallant.blogspot.com. Congratulations, Pat. Thanks for tuning in to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music that you heard in this episode is from bensound.com. There's still time for you to get in on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast launch giveaway where you could win a Seasoned Athlete Starter Pack. What's in that? I'm going to tell you. You could win a free entry into any U.S. Spartan race courtesy of Obstacle Racing Media, a Chuddy Wings custom metal rack, a Rollflex active muscle release device designed with the athlete in mind, a pair of Fit4 gloves, the official glove of Spartan Race, and a pair of .6 Merino wool socks. That's quite a bounty, my friends, and it will get you all set up and fired up to tackle any seasoned athlete endeavor that you might have in mind. And entering is easy. You just need to leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes about this or any of our seasoned athlete episodes. Just go to seasonedathlete.me and click on the giveaway post at the top of the page to get all the details on how to officially enter this giveaway. Find us on social at Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And do you know any super awesome seasoned athletes who would make perfect guests for the show? Send us an email to seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Now go forth and embrace your extraordinary seasoned athletes because you know what? You so can.